Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show that is so bad even death and taxes don't like it. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you. It got cold again. I don't like it. But anyway, it's springtime and uh, trees are in bloom, and I'm happy about it. On this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine Radio Show and Pipe Parts, uh, I've been holding off on doing this one, and I'll tell you why in the review. Uh, Wessex Campaign Dark Flake, uh, the uh, Made in Germany version from uh, Wessex, and I'll review that. And then and, uh, my guests are more with uh, Jody Davis and Jeff Grasick, so more of their conversation, so we get to hear them continuing that. Uh, if you forgot what they said before, go back, listen to the show about uh, three, four weeks ago and get caught up on that and then listen to this one all that coming up <laughs> plus we have music mailbag and rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show uh today has been uh well the show's been a little delayed today because it's been reading day because uh, the new uh, uh, the new issue of the pipe collector arrived uh yesterday but i didn't go get the mail until this morning so i've been reading that if you're not a member of the naspc's pipe collector uh or if you don't get it just go to naspc.org sign up there and for digitally i believe for 10 bucks a year you get uh, six issues and it's always good reading uh, also, while you're doing some reading on uh, PipesMagazine.com, the Ken Barnes articles are on the top of the forum pages, so go there and check those out. Good reading there as well, and a lot of history. Uh, JDRF auction items. I am back home and uh, ready to start receiving them, so if you have any pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, doodads, whatnots that you want to donate, remember 100% of the proceeds go directly to finding a cure and treatments for those suffering from type 1 diabetes, just like my daughter. Uh, I believe we've raised a little bit over $17,000 in the years we've been doing that. So it'd be great to get up over the 20000 mark. Really appreciate that. Reach out to me, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, B-R-I-A-N, and uh, let me know what you got. All right, let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and Pipe Parts Tobacco Review of Wessex Campaign, or uh, Br- yeah, Wessex Campaign Brigade, the Dark Flake. And uh, I've got it right here. Um, 
it, this one, I, so first of all, I normally do not like, uh, I don't like reviewing something unless I know it's readily available. But here was the problem. I got this tin about six, eight months ago. It was uh, gifted to me by somebody who wanted me to review it. So here's the review for them. Uh, but I, and I, I was waiting for it to become available. But I didn't want to wait so long that the tin would be aged. I, I wanted it, you know, I knew that he had had the tin for a couple of months and now it's going on a year. So I wanted to make sure that it was as close to what you can buy when you buy it uh anyway it's not available now and i don't like doing that but here it goes so this is a uh, it's a nice dark flake and as it says in the description you know wessex campaign dark flake uh dark brown virginia full-bodied and smooth uh i disagree with the full-bodied i think it's more on the medium side than full-bodied the uh, fragrant uh, the aroma of the tin is nice rich uh, I'm picking up a hint of something that it was topped with, but I can't figure out what it was. But I think it might be in like the uh, in, in the brown sugar range. But it's really, really subtle. Uh, the flakes were you know, nicely presented. Again, they're cut in squares and then put inside a little paper and put inside the round tin. So there was a little wiggling of it and you know a little bit of a uh, little bit of loosening to the flakes. Uh, when I first opened the tin. The flakes were too wet, uh, just straightforward, too wet. So I had to rub it out and let it dry down a little bit so I could get it to smoke. Uh, and then like with, with most tobaccos, you know, I know which pipes I own are going to handle that better than others. So I tried it in one of the, in one of my straight Virginia pipes and it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, when I brought it up in size to a bigger pipe, didn't like it as much. And I was a little interested in what the and uh, trying to figure out what the topping was. So the then the next thing I did was I grabbed a uh, brand new unsmoked Missouri Meerschaum and smoked it in that. And that's where I started picking up that brown sugar really because you know the the clean the the clean Missouri Meerschaum pipe and the clean taste from it it smoked nice. But again, you gotta if if you really want it to you really want it to smoke well for you. It's got to be dried down. Uh, it's still, it's been three days since I've opened this tin and I've smoked probably five or six bowls out of it. And it's still, I'm holding it in my hand. It's still really wet. So it really needs to, uh, they, <laughs> they packed it so wet that I think you could age it for 25 years and it wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't dry down. All right. On tobacco reviews. A, uh, a review that didn't like it and a review that did like it. Uh, the review that didn't like it from Voyagings, uh, this was a two-star review, and he said, uh, presentation is decent, standard European flakes, which are even and uniform mostly. The smell is a little like Wessex brown flake to some degree, but there is something extra in a perceived topping, maybe cocoa or something like an overripe grape. Uh, there is a maltness to the smell as well. The smell comes through in the taste. Parts of the flakes rub out into chunks, which I do not like. Uh, the flakes are pretty moist and could use a little drying. And I'll, I'll insert here that, yeah, you, you, those chunks, if you dry it down, uh, those chunks rub out a lot better. Uh, uh, the flakes are very moist, much like Wessex Burley Slice. After rubbing the flakes out, there is a stickiness on your fingers. Not too much drying time is needed. Leaving the tobacco in the tin for a few weeks helped between the initial smokes and subsequent ones. 
There is no bright end to the taste of this blend. No citrus notes, no grass, no bright peaks. They are all lower end notes of bread, oats, some stewed fruits, and some tanginess. The strength is maybe medium. Nicotine strength is mild. I don't find too many flavors in the blend that I enjoy. Uh, there are straight Virginia flakes out there with more rounded flavor profiles. I would reach for every other straight Virginia I have, I've ever tried before I would reach for this blend. <laughs> However, there are not many dark straight Virginias on the market, so this offers something different from the norm. I would recommend this to any lover of straight Virginias. I would not buy it again. And on the positive side, on four stars, uh, this is an emeritus account because Tobacco Reviews did all that. Uh, and this account says, uh, four stars, this is very well prepared Virginia flake with a sweet tobacco flavor. Tin odor is a good Virginia aroma. The flakes were slightly sticky from the molasses or honey topping, but rubbed out easily. It is biteless and smokes mild, but delivers favorable nicotine content. A slight harshness initially, characteristic of Virginia's, after a relight uh, and a few more puffs, no more bite, and this stuff provided pure sweet Virginia flavor with a mild accent while still providing a pretty good nicotine boost. Uh, packs easily and burns nicely and doesn't bite, an excellent dark Virginia and much better than most. I thought it was better than Astley's number 44, which I will avoid unless they change their recipe to reduce bite and find a way to produce a better, sweeter flavor in their Dark Virginia versions. Uh, anyway, so uh, he bought this and it had a little bit of age on it. So that's all I can, all I can say to you. Uh, again, I, this is a blend where I think if you want something that if, if you're looking for something that is more on the uh, low notes and less on the high notes of like Orlick Golden Slice or the uh, McBaron Virginia Flakes, uh, this would be something to try. Do dry it down a little bit. Give it a little bit of time in the air. And I think it would benefit fairly well from some aging, but I don't think this is one that, you know, if you put it away for 20 years and take it out, I don't think it's going to be the most wonderful blend you've ever smoked at that point. So that would be my suggestion would be, you know, the next couple of years, maybe two or three years at the most on it and then let it go. Uh, and apparently it's not readily available. So, you know, don't go chasing after it, but keep it in the back of your head. That is the uh, Wessex campaign dark flake. And in just a moment, more of uh, the conversation with uh, the discussion between Jeff Grasick and Jody Davis. This is Internet Radio. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell & Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey.
And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember that what you're about to hear is uh, part two of just the discussion between Jeff and Jody talking about uh, pipe making things and me just kind of listening in on it. And every once in a while you hear me pipe in. But uh, here we go. Push this a little further. If I push a little further, I could maybe make it a little bit better. <laughs> it's, right. It's trying right. to, it's just finding that balance and like ugh, how much are you willing to risk at that moment you know and, yeah and that, like the risk is like that, that fear that you're going to uncover something that would be devastating right yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you know we've all had that happen <laughs> yes yeah sure. and you know I, I i'm sure you've had your share of them too but like pipes that literally like could be the highest grade that like for me my wave grade and you get down to the last section of shaping and everything's perfect. And there's a, there's a pipe, like not just a, like this needs to be sandblasted, but this is a pipe killing flaw. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I long, long ago learned like, uh, yeah, don't celebrate before, <laughs> before the, uh, uh, the time for celebration has, has presented itself. <laughs> that is the truth. Oh. Yeah. I can think of one pipe. <laughs> scarred me so deeply i can i still think of it today <laughs> you uh, this, have night terrors about it yes this this volcano that was one of the most amazing straight grains that i've ever seen and I, you know i got it shaped up and it was it was there everything was good and there's this one just tiny little speck and mm -hmm. i was like man if i could just get that out there would, be just, there would just be nothing it would be completely flawless and would be amazing and lo and behold as i went slightly deeper it started getting bigger <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like oh you know it's just oh, oh. painful <laughs> Can't believe it this was like yeah you know at that point in that it this was like the greatest pipe i'd ever made you know just everything mm -hmm. had come together and there it all went down the drain and I was yeah so distraught it, over that the, the the cool thing about it though is that like on the other high uh, on the other hand there are you know examples i can think of where i maybe didn't have like wasn't aspiring to make you know, uh, an incredible pipe. I just kind of grabbed a block and you cut it open and the inside of the block surprises you. Like yeah. where you think like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to make something normal, something, something, you know, average, uh, you know, I, this will be a, like a sandblasted bent brandy or something like something yeah. that you and I could, you know, it's, it's a, a bread and butter pipe. Right. Yeah. And you get into it and you're like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is wow okay yeah this where's is really, that you get really excited about something that is otherwise you know kind of a basic shape yeah and i i like that aspect of this too that you can be surprised in both directions although i prefer one surprise over the other yes for sure <laughs> yes. that is for sure especially when you're when you're grabbing that ah, this is kind of a c-grade block i'm going to do the sandblast real quick and then you're like where did this grain goes from. <laughs> you know, holy cow. Those right. Great surprises. <laughs> I love days like that. <laughs> yeah. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about, about 
how you got started and 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 what what, what your beginning journey was there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you said you made your first pipe probably 96, 98, <clears throat> somewhere around there. Yeah. I I started I like you kind of you know, found I I had been a cigar smoker for a while and my wife Mel really hated that and she recommended <laughs> pipes because they didn't stink in her smart, opinion. Smart lady. I agree. I agree. Um, and you know, I, I tend to be a both feet in kind of person. And, really? um, you know, I, as I started looking up pipes, I'm like, not only wanted to find something that was nicer than average, like not just something from a drugstore. Um, if I was going to spend my money on it and I didn't have a whole lot of it back then, um, that, uh, you know, I wanted it to be a good value and something that I would like. And I remember researching and searching and, and back, uh, see, not, that's 2003. Um, I found a pipe on eBay and I convinced her to let me spend 40 bucks. Now we were graduate students at the time. So, you know, <laughs> pennies, we were pinching pennies. Um, and uh, I bought this pipe. I didn't know anything about it other than it was a bulldog. And it came in. It turns out, like, now, I, I wish I still had it. I sold it. It was a K. Woody Allbriar unsmoked bulldog from, like, 1961 or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And I was like, now I look at it and I go, man, that was a, that was a good place to start, you know, for not knowing anything. <laughs> yeah. um, so I got the pipe in. And, you know, probably before it even arrived, I'd already bought, like, a batch of um, you know, broken estate pipes on eBay um, to to uh, figure out how to restore. Um, so I I had a handful to work with um, right away, and just quickly became obsessed to the point where I was sitting in my like lectures at in school, trying to sketch pipe shapes in the margins, and you know just. <laughs> it's so much of that too. It's like it's just on your mind, and you just want to sketch it out to try to I. I in, in retrospect, I think what I was trying to do is figure out how the lines work because I knew I was sketching things that were pipe-like, but it yeah. wasn't like what I was seeing. So when I first started, you know, first learned about the Danish pipes, I was looking at these things, trying to even sketch them on a piece of paper. I'm like, my sketch is just way off from what they're doing. What is it that's different? What is wrong? Why doesn't it look like that? Yeah. And it was a really, really solid education to be able to you know analyze the differences what what made their shapes sing and what made my sketches you know just drown um <laughs> yeah and yeah it was it, it, it was it was tough and frustrating but i learned a lot by doing that so it was yeah like you know that's, oh go ahead that's one thing that that any you know anybody who has come to me and talked to me about like wanting to make pipes or they make pipes a little bit and they want to do this. I'm like, you need to sit and draw pipes. Like right. if you can't, if you can't do it in that one dimension, you can't do it in three. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. so, you know, draw pipes, just draw pipes, draw mm -hmm. pipes. And that will help you to be able to see the lines, you know, see the right. things that you want to be able to reproduce. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No. And I think like that's a that's a difference between like wanting to if you want to just make a pipe, just have it for yourself. Like that's cool. But if you actually want to learn to make pipes, that's a yeah. difference uh, or to be a pipe maker. 
Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say at that time, like when I was getting into it and sketching, that I really wanted to be a pipe maker. I was just deeply curious and uh, frustrated by my inability to kind of master something or, or like to, to, to be able to, to do it to my satisfaction. Yeah. So I, you know, would just buy lots of books. I would go to, uh, you know, use bookstores and stuff at every pipe shop around um, Princeton where I was going to school and, and try to just look at pipes and, and meet people who knew stuff about pipes just to pick their brains. Yeah. And at that time, what was it? Um, uh, th there was there was a little bit of information online. Um, Trevor Talbert had yeah, yeah, a tutorial on his website, um, which was only like around for a, a little while that after I started making pipes. And also Tyler Beard. Um, oh, Tyler, had, yeah. Yeah, he had a, like a, a tutorial on his site. And I emailed him and asked him a question. And he said, well, hey, why don't you, can you, ask that question in these forums. I just built these forums on my website. I said, sure. So I registered for an account. It was like one of the earliest accounts there and, and asked the question and that was Pipe Makers Forum, oh, yeah. uh, which was a kind of a solid spot back when I was starting to, to what, learn how to, how to about make what you, About what year was that? That was 2003. 2003, okay. Two, uh, maybe it was early 2004. So I, before that, I'd like called Tim West on the phone. I called Mark Tinsky and I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm in the New Jersey area, and I'd I'd like to um, I, I'm interested in pipes. Can I come out to your workshop and just you know pick your brain?" And he said, "Sure. How close are you to Montana? Because he had just moved there but hadn't changed his <laughs> website." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I'm a long way." And I will interrupt the conversation right here, and we'll take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years, and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefolge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And here is more of the conversation with Jeff and Jody. Before that, I'd like called Tim West on the phone. I called Mark Tinsky and I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in the New Jersey area and I'd, I'd like to um, I, I'm interested in pipes. Can I come out to your workshop and just, you know, pick your brain? And he said, sure. How close are you to Montana? Because he had just moved there, but hadn't changed his website. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a long way. Uh, that's a long drive. So uh, I, I uh, did a little more research and found, you know, Tim West. So I gave Tim West a call who was super generous with his time and like gave me all these tips. And he was like, here's how you make a, a, a drill bit. And 
So I, I bought a couple blocks of briar from him. The only reason I wanted to buy a pipe kit, but I had enough money for either a pipe kit or two blocks of briar. So I bought two blocks of briar. <laughs> and, and, no, and no stems. I didn't buy any stem blanks because I didn't have like just the extra <laughs> few dollars. Um, it's pretty wild. So um, yeah, so I, I turns out one of my neighbors had the Pimo pipe book and had made pipes for his groomsmen and his wedding. He had a couple of the drill bits. So over that Christmas, I visited my in-laws in Illinois and my father-in-law's neighbor had a friend who had a workshop. So I worked in like the frigid Southern Illinois cold in an unheated workshop <laughs> with this guy's uh, uh, drill, drill press. And I drilled the holes according to what I knew. And I got them both on center, which was great. I surprised <laughs> myself. And I shaped everything else with a Dremel. They, I got it, my, my in-laws gave me a Dremel for Christmas. And so oh, nice. I shaped everything by hand with a Dremel. Yes. Yeah, in in uh, in their living room. <laughs> Truly appreciated that. Yeah, I'm like, uh, can we bring the vacuum in here? I'm going to be making some noise. <clears throat> so yeah, Gosh, I uh, I had a lung lungs full of briar dust, but I was as happy as could be. So I still I made two pipes and didn't have a mouthpiece. So I looked in their yellow pages back at the time and found a pipe shop nearby, and I went, and they had 7-LA replacement stems, and that's what I got, and they worked. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I started. But after, you know, I made those first, you know, a couple pipes, I kind of got into it. The Pipe Makers Forum had started up, and I was able to ask questions of other hobbyists who were, you know, same stage as me or a little bit further along. And then, and, and Tyler was, like, the experienced guy, which was awesome to have someone who was not only experienced but uh, had – you know, he, he was eager to share that knowledge yeah. with other people. And really, to, well, to my mind, like, he really set, like, a, he set a precedent in the American pipe community. Yeah. Now, he, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't have been making pipes for very long at that point. Right. But it was a lot longer than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, awesome. I think it was, well, pretty, he had, he was he probably had a year or so able to lay that out, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And all that. I'm right. sure that that probably helped him as much as it helped other people. Yeah, I mean, it was it was extraordinarily helpful, not just for me, yeah. for a lot of people who were kind of developing around that time. And it was through that uh, that uh, Todd Johnson came through the forum, and he invited me up to um, his shop because uh, we were studying similar subjects, and went up and met Todd. I stayed. Like three right, days, yeah. I think. Yeah. And that was when I learned the words Lars Everson, Bo yeah. Nord. Yes, Donovan. I, he, I remember him, him referencing Bo Nord, and I was like, what's a Bo Nord? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, so I learned about all that from him. I'd like never seen pictures or anything. And oh, yeah. went home le having learned how to hand drill. And I think I made my sixth and seventh pipes or seventh and eighth pipes with him. And came home and kind of like you coming back from uh, Jim Cook's um, uh, workshop, like I, I told my wife, it's like, hey, uh, he said, Todd said, I, you know, I, I have some potential. Are you cool if I kind of go into our, uh, our living funds to buy a lathe? I think I can make the money back. <laughs> and she said, okay. <laughs> so I bought a lathe. And... And I drilled those first few pipes by hand with a spade bit, which 
for all oh, your listeners wow. out there, Brian, is a terrible idea. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah. That's how you end up with triangular holes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And possible lost appendages. Yes, yes. I, I have all of my appendages, and uh, <laughs> uh, I learned. I learned a lot from that experience. So, yeah, you know, I, I ended up, you know, getting connected with a tool maker and, you know, designed some like sent some some uh drill bit like danish style spoon bits um ideas to them and they they made them for me and you know learned just made a lot of tools because there wasn't a lot of information out there and you certainly couldn't buy the stuff so i was shaping my own um like cutting tools and all that so it was like it was probably the next i'm trying to think it was like the the next August after that. So it was 2004 when I came to the Columbus pipe show and that's where I met you, Jody. Right. So I had like the next batch of pipes that I'd made after I worked with Todd the first time, which was in the summer of, of 2004. And so I came to that show and I had this little tiny box and I couldn't believe like, Oh my God, this is Jody Dave. Like it was, I remember the table. Like, you were, you had a table and then, Todd had a table and Mike Linder had a table. You were all next to one another. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, these guys are so awesome. <laughs> and so I, I showed you guys my pipes and, uh, you know, Keith Moore was there, who you mentioned, because yeah. uh, he had just come back to pipes after a little hiatus. So Keith Moore yeah, and Art help from Mink Kahuna Tampers and yeah, Jeff right. Folliter and Sykes well, Wilford from Smoking Pipes. <laughs> And somehow yep. I ended up in like a hotel room with all you guys after we went and had dinner. And I was just like, I can't believe I'm here. Um, and I don't know. I felt like we kind of hit it off. And you, yeah, and, you know, I, I just made a lot of made a lot of phone calls to uh, Yuma, Arizona after that. A lot of phone calls. <laughs> that was back when we yeah, had to pay man. for cell phones by the minute. So I don't know. That's probably right. much to your chagrin was like 50 percent of my uh my uh phone bill every month <laughs> but yeah i remember, man, I remember awesome. calling you all the time like dude i ran into the in fact i remember one in spe- uh, one instance in specific i was making a volcano and i had um i was polishing i didn't have a polishing wheel i was using my lathe as a polishing wheel and yep. i caught the edge of this smooth pipe Oh, and gosh. it tossed it into the bed of the lathe, and I was just distraught because it dented the bottom of it, and it was more or less sold at that point. It was the nicest <laughs> pipe I'd ever made. And um, I was thinking, like, this is the balance. This is going to buy it. This is going to pay off the rest of the lathe. <laughs> and uh, I remember calling you. I was like, dude, I don't know what to do. Do I have to sand it down? And you, you're like, here's a trick. And that's how I learned you know how to how to fix problems like that like it doesn't fix it completely but it's, it gets you a good start to uh yeah get you a little closer <laughs> yeah yeah it's to, you know like steam it out and oh yeah. brilliant and yeah so just having like a connection like that where you can you can like phone a friend <laughs> yeah. uh, wait wait a second it, it, it makes a difference jeff was uh was jody his normal mean and nasty self when he first saw your pipes or or did he oh, play nice he cantankerous yeah yeah he was terrible <laughs> no no kids, kids no, you know, jody, he was like he's like those are he's like those are those are pretty nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> not not overly excited not not underly excited either 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it was sufficiently exciting. It was enough that I was like, well, he didn't say they were terrible. <laughs> you got, like, yeah, three words. Like I mean, you got, right. You got three words out of him. That's basically a, a, a paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think after um, after that Columbus Pipe show, um, I... I went to another pipe show and it was shortly after that, maybe the next summer that I came down and visited you for the first time, spent a week in, in Yuma with you. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the first time. Now, it, yeah. Cause I visited you twice when I was still in school yep. for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, um, uh, I, it was actually from you. Like I could, I had never turned a pipe. I never turned to classic shape. Todd had taught me how to do like the Danish style hand shaping, which is really, yeah. really important. Um, but also like having that foundation in the classics is important. And he, at least at that time, like to my knowledge, didn't really do that. So I don't when think I visited he still you, does. that was one of my, Oh, really? <laughs> he makes a classic. He still does it freehand, I think. <laughs> still freehand? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That is certainly, uh, you know, an, uh, an approach that works. But the, you know, the learning to do that, like the English style turning was something I really wanted to learn from you. And so you taught me essentially like the method you learned from Jim Cook, right? Like that stepped method. Yeah. yeah. I used that for years. Yeah. Well, now you you have the muscle memory. Now you don't have to do that. (laughs) Right. Now you just do do it because you've done it so many times. But yeah, that was a good way to get started understanding, you know being able to yeah. see you know where you're where you're trying to go with that cutting tool right yeah. like connect the dots yeah and like I, I i've heard it described this way and i totally agree with it that like when you turn a pipe on a lathe like we're talking about it's like trying to turn a circle on a netch sketch perfectly the first time that's that's right yeah that's a perfect way to look at it yeah <laughs> that's what you're doing yeah because if you screw up you know, you got to start over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So never thought about I mean, that. That's, that's a good way. Yeah. So, and then after that, like I moved to, um, I, I finished up school and moved to California where my wife had gotten a job and we had a baby and I was, uh, just two hours away from where you were in Arizona. So, I had no sandblaster and really kind of minimal access to, I had a small shop, but nothing like too big. And, um, you, like, I used to come out and, and hang out with you for like a week, like a week, yeah. every single month. Almost every month. For, yeah. yeah. For like two years, I think. <laughs> Wait a second. Your, so you, was, your yeah. wife had a, you, you and your wife had just had a baby and then you go and spend a week every month with Jody. <laughs> oh, no. Even better, I took my baby with me. Oh, okay. All right. That that's you that's fine. That, Jody? Yep. Yeah, baby baby Sophia would come out with me. And uh, Jody and, and uh, his wife Laurie. Laurie uh, y'all were dating at the time, right? And so she would kind of uh, hang out with uh, she would hang out with Sophia. Yeah, I think thinking Some yeah, initially we, we were dating, but we got married, you know, pretty soon after that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I remember when you got engaged, man. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Is that my apartment? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, he, he was a, he was living uh, in a really uh, beautiful part of San Diego, and there was a nice cliff and some ocean waves. And I said, "That's got to be the place." So we went to visit uh, uh, Jeff and Melissa out in San Diego, and uh, went out and set on set on the cliffs. And then that's when we made it official. <laughs> we were getting married. So, and uh, so either, was it, either way, was it Jody, your mom and dad that was there. It must have been my mom and dad, yeah, because they they were living in China yeah. at the time. They were back in China. They were, they were. Man, I forgot so about that. excited because because they knew it was going to happen, and they were just like, mm, they were giddy. <laughs> my mom was giddy. <laughs> so so either, either way, Jody, you were jumping off of a cliff. <laughs> yeah, metaphorically and yeah, possibly physically. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like. I, you know, I would look at like that time, you know, there, I, I had it a little different than you did, Jody, where, you know, where you, it seems like your time was more like punctuated by experiences with pipe makers, but most of the time was kind of on your own, right? Yeah. And mine was, you know, I had these punctuations early at the beginning, but I was fortunate to, uh, you know, have moved close to you and, you know, basically get to come hang out with and, and learn from you and even like do some, you know, collaborations here and there um, early on, which was, you know, I mean, that was, yeah. it's a kind of a unique experience um, for pipe makers and certainly was formative for me. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing, you know, um, you were definitely, and even still, probably the most naturally talented guy I ever saw what the pipes. Oh, shucks, like you, man. You, you could see, <laughs> you very early on could see shape and could replicate it and, and you know, and, you know, that was, that was great. I mean, that, that makes it, you know, it's when you're, you know, it, it's harder when you, when you're spending time with, with people who, you know, they, they'll eventually get it. <laughs> Right, right. You you picked up on things so quick that it was it wasn't like working with a a newbie pipe maker, really. You know. Yeah. So it was just it was just good fun. Pipe makers hanging out. Those were good days. Yeah, they were for sure. Smoking a lot of exotique. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Love that stuff. Yeah, I I remember you were talking about uh, um, you know your. I, I remember when you were you know, visiting with you and you had told me about like getting into it and all the estate pipes that you had come across. I remember just marveling at your estate pipe collection when I first came out. Cause I had like, I don't know, I had like three pipes or something yeah. and nothing you know, like, like a Dunhill that I got without a mouthpiece and I made a new mouthpiece for like those kinds of things. Yeah. And I saw your stuff. I'm like, Oh, here's a Dunhill from 1930 that I got in an antique mall for 16 cents. oh my god just impressed and jealous and like oh this is great and it was cool to be able to like to see those kinds of things because you had you you had some like bangs and uh you you, uh some bangs some eversons or at least one lars everson yeah and it was just incredible for me because at that time i hadn't seen a whole lot of those in person so to be able to you know, get like a little snippet of what you got through the Upshaw or of the Uptown's experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, I used to have a lot of really great pipes. Yeah, I've st- I still got quite a few of them, but I ended up selling a lot of them off 
you know, you can only smoke so many pipes in the end. So. That's, that's for sure. That's for and sure. I, and I get, I get, I seem to be getting more and more of my own pipes as, uh, <laughs> as I get close to finishing one, and then it's not, you know, you know something happens to it. I smoke all my seconds, so yeah. But uh, yeah. a few of those pipes helped help, help me buy my last house, so that was good. At least it went into something that was, you know, going to help me move forward in life. I didn't, I didn't like I didn't like drink them away or anything weird like that. <laughs> I didn't gamble them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff, a question. Yeah, what's up? question for you how did the conversation go with your wife when you decided after getting your master's degree and getting married and everything that you didn't want to do anything but make pipes oh, I mean, yeah. that's a great question brian i gotta say uh i had uh i i was unsure i i can probably put this one of two ways one is i could say i i essentially had a decoy um, the other is that uh, I could say that I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And that, that, that's really the truth. When we moved to California, we knew we were going to have a baby. And I knew I was really into this pipe thing. And I thought maybe I could, you know, do something with it. And I'd made, I'd made just over 100 pipes, um, like 50 a year, which is quite a few for, like, going to school full time. Um, but I was just, I, I would work all day or, I mean, I'd, I'd do school all day and then, and make pipes, you know, a good portion of the night and would go to a show or two a year. Um, so when we, when I was, when we moved to California, I knew I could make some money doing it to sustain it, but I was still considering going and continuing my school. I was thinking about earning a PhD to be a teacher. And when we first moved to California, I was taking some classes to help, you know, move in that direction. But after, oh, I would say after a year or two, uh, recognized that that's just not what my ambition was anymore. That's not where I was passionate. I really, really liked making pipes. And by that time, fortunately, the pipe market had been good to me or good enough that I could, um, you know, make a go continue making a go of it so she was she was agreeable yeah because i mean that that for i i think for a lot of new pipe makers that's a real stumbling block of you know when do i make yeah. the jump from this is a hobby and i like doing it to oh i got to do it as a business oh man yeah that's i get asked about that a lot or i'll have people who email or call me with the the question of like, here's, I, I have a job I don't like. I want to be a full-time pipe maker and I'm quitting my job next month. And I just want to call them. And like, no, are you crazy? Hold up. That's a terrible idea. But you yeah. know, I'm not their mother. So, you know, it's not my job to do that. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody do that any, any more than I would recommend them go, you know, just decide to become a professional surfer tomorrow or something like that. Like, it's just silly. Um, you know, for me, it happened really organically. It came out of, um, it came out of, you know, years, uh, several years of practice and passion. And I never aspired to be a professional pipe maker. I just kind of ended up. One. Um, and I'm mean, Jody, how do you, what do you think about that? Oh yeah. It's kind of, kind of, uh, the same way. You know, I, of course I was already a, 
professional musician. <laughs> so I already had I already had one dream job. So I, right. I wouldn't have thought I could have another one. <laughs> Jody no. Jody but had I, two I, crazy I, adventures. <laughs> yeah. So so I, you know I was doing that, and I was my thought was like, well, music is not. You know, how long is that going to last? Well, here I am 30 years later. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, in, it's like, well, I need to have something else I can do. So I'll just, you know, I'll just do this and just kind of work on the business and work on being a better pipe, you know, and just try to try to build it and until it's there when I need it, you know. And uh, and and it and it was at a certain point, um, uh, you know, I had my oldest daughter has health issues and I had to come off the road and it was a real godsend to have something that I could actually do and mm-hmm. make a living at and I could also take care of her at the same time and uh, so in some ways I feel like that was almost you know orchestrated for me yeah. and so I did that for a number of years and then the opportunity came uh, for me to come back to play music and just all the things kind of fell into place it wasn't something that probably if you would have asked me, you know, three months before that point, I would have said, nah, there's no way, but just, mm-hmm. it was the right, the right timing of everything. And so came back to Nashville, started playing again, but still continuing, you know, the pipe business, you know, it's, it's still what I'm going to do when I grow up. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think you like, I, I don't I don't know about the Europeans or um, but I, I can only know from, you know, my experience like the and and from what you've shared that like it just ur- urging I, I, I always urge people to be really cautious about making those kinds of decisions because it, you know, let, let it happen. Like let let your skills develop and you'll know when you're at the point that, you know, your sales, you're like you're you're making you're struggling to find the time to make the pipes to meet your orders. Right. Um, so you, it's got to come out of your other work time. And when that time comes, then you got to make it, you know, probably have to make a choice. Yeah. When you're, when you're, when your day job is interfering with your, you know, financial windfall from pipe making, then it's time to. <laughs> yeah. I think it's much more eloquently put. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, yeah, my and it's very. This I I would I would approach it the same way that I I when I talk to young musicians who are always like, well, what do I need to do to, you know, be a professional musician? And my the thing I always tell them is that you have to do it because you love it, and that has mm-hmm. to be that has to be the reward, and right. then you let it let it go where it's going to go you, you right. i mean there's a few little things that you could do that are going to kind of improve your chances you know if you play everywhere you can and you get your name around people and you you know you make friends in the right places and you do this that improves your sort of possibility of being able to do it on a more full-time basis but it's still like winning the lottery so you better be right. doing it because you love it first yeah and and that's that's i would say is as true for our um, you know, our jobs as they like pipe making as they would be for, for music that, you know, there, there are a dozen, a dozen or more aspiring pipe makers for every, every person, you know, barely making it as a pipe maker. Um, yes, it's, it's, it's not easy and you have good months and bad months and good years and bad years. 
Um, yeah, the market like itself, wax and yeah, wax, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not a steady paycheck. And uh, but on the other hand, like if you love it, if you can't help but do it. And that certainly was my experience. Like when I was in, in, I was, I, I was going to school for a subject I wanted to study at my dream school. I couldn't, I couldn't believe I was there. Uh, and even in the midst of that, all I could think about after I discovered pipes was pipes. <laughs> and, and it was just, it, it, it was like a black hole, you know, it just, it, it sucked me into it and, and I'm grateful for it. But it was not it was not inevitable. And we will uh, stop it here for this week. And remember more coming up in a in a future uh, future episode. So we'll be back in just a minute. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents to expanding their catalog each year with new, innovative series. Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Remember, you can see a lot of Jeff's pipes on his website, Jay Allen Pipes, and uh, follow him on Instagram and all that stuff. And uh, Jody, well, you got to catch him when you can. <laughs> all right, music-wise. Uh, so in addition to a rediscovery of the music of Queen, in the past couple of years, we, uh, we here at home have rediscovered the music of Foreigner, seen them live several times with the... Uh, uh, not with the original singer, but with a replacement singer that we really like. And I was reminded as I was listening to their first album of how Foreigner was a great bridge from the uh, progressive rock of the 70s into mainstream rock. And uh, how they kind of, you know, they kind of brought that bridge across. Uh, and then as they got into the 80s, there were some love songs that, you know, I could do without. But uh, anyway, nothing Pipe-related here, just a foreigner from their first album, one of my favorites. It's Long, Long Way From Home.
you see what I mean? You get some of that old uh, Hammond organ sound mixed in with some of that 70s rock uh, saxophone and leading into guitar-focused stuff. So I uh, highly encourage you, if you can, go back and listen to uh, Foreigner's first two or three albums. And Foreigner 4 is really good, too, except for some of those silly love songs you got mail you got mail you got mail and remember if you have a comment or question email me brian at pipesmagazine.com b-r-i-a-n at pipesmagazine.com and we got two weeks to get caught up on so going back to uh two weeks ago with uh me and Fred Hanna, Jay Everett says, I'm really enjoying these long-form discussion shows. The conversation on watches got me thinking I may start wearing one again. Ash's thoughts on browsing and purpose may prove useful. Uh, as for the tobacco topic, outside of aged blends, sometimes being remarkably better, I'll take the word of my more experienced elders as true. I'm, however, learning, leaning more towards your take on it, Brian. Great show, and thanks for what you do. Yeah, you are welcome. Uh, glad, yeah. Lean towards my side. Fred's old and jaded. Uh, and then uh, Tex Jake writes, I appreciated hearing the candid opinions. This was a great one to listen to. Thank you for letting us sit in on your discussion of the topic. Always something to learn, even if it's just learning how to better express an opinion on one side or the other of a topic such as this. Yeah. Uh, that you know, that's the fun part. Played both sides of the coin. Go ahead. And then uh, uh, Dino says uh, your discussion with Ash was both entertaining and timely. <laughs> I think he meant that as a funny. Uh, and then he says, although I'm not as strident as Fred, I agree with his assessment of the quality of tobacco leaf today. As a result of the nearly total mechanization of tobacco farming, the shortcuts taken in leaf preparation, and the overall lack of truly distinctive varietals, the tobacco produced today yields precious few outstanding blends. Like you, Brian, my go-to blend is no longer produced and will never again be duplicated. Uh, and then he says, boy, the music back in the day was great, and yes, get off my lawn. Thanks for another fun show. Welcome back, Dino. Dino, you're welcome. And I won't, I, I promise I'll stay off your lawn. Uh, and then the last one, going back to the Fred Hanna episode from two weeks ago, Casey Ghost says, I think the tobacco from the old days was superior to what we have in tobacco today, but today's tobacco is really not bad. Why else would we continue to smoke? And the worst stuff on the market then was much worse than we have to deal with today. I guess that can be our comfort. And as far as taste memory or whatever he called it, I'm totally at a loss. I don't have one of those. I will continue to muddle forward with what I've got. Hard to believe Ash doesn't wear any jewelry other than a watch. I am a long way from being a clothes horse, yet I wear a ring, a watch, and bracelet. I guess if you're going to wear only one of those Rolex, one of those, a Rolex watch would be the thing to wear. Uh, it would have been nice to see which Rolex he wears. I enjoyed the music. I'm writing this five days after the show, so God only knows what it was. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, go back and watch Ash's videos on his watch collection. And then going back to uh, last week's show with uh, Jared Coles. Uh, Casey Ghost wrote, To imagine anyone lasting 500 shows is amazing. Kudos to you and Brian. 
and <laughs> thank you. And Renfield says uh, 500 shows a hell is a hell of an achievement. Congrats to Brian, Kevin, your weekly respite from global stupidity is appreciated much more than my words can convey Renfield. Well, you're welcome. And that means a lot to me, uh, considering I'm not real smart. So, uh, but yeah, it's a nice way to get away for a week for an hour or so. And then Streeper541 says, a hearty congratulations on your 500th episode and an even bigger thank you. Seriously, thank you. <laughs> and as we say in the sea services, bravo Zulu. Ooh, and then there's flags. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Dr. P says, thank you for what you do, Brian. I'm a longtime pipe smoker without a community stuck in Bakersfield, California. I listen to your podcast to feel connected to like-minded people. You're my therapist, my confidant, and your show is my community all rolled up in one. Well, Dr. P, you are very welcome. And uh, hopefully you got, if, if you need a real therapist, hopefully you got someone better than me. But glad to be of service. Uh, Jay Effort says, congratulations on hitting 500 episodes. Thank you for all you, Kevin, and the regular guests do to make such a great show week after week. It is truly an enjoyable institution in the community. And I also want to say thanks to the sponsors. I love hearing the ads, especially when there is a new one, which is why I patronize your business and brands whenever possible. Your contribution really makes the show more of a radio show. And that is important. The, uh, you know, without the sponsors and you listeners, wouldn't be much of a show. Uh, and then finally, Dino says 500 shows, Mazel Tov. A very nice way to celebrate this milestone and easygoing, fun conversation with Jared, a cleverly entertaining take on Bach, and an extended review and interaction with your listeners who take time to comment on the show and pose questions. As always, thanks, Dino. You're welcome, Dino. And I really do take that seriously. In fact, it kind of pisses me off when I write somebody and they don't respond. Yeah, like the Walt Disney Company. So... Just keep those letters going. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, as well as JDRF auction items. Email me, please. Appreciate it. And in just a moment, rant time. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through smokingpipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then, we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 
art, fashion, design. Don't poo-poo on the new stuff, all right? Don't do it. Don't poo-poo on the new art, the new fashion, the new design, the new music. Whatever it is, don't poo-poo on it. And here's why. Are you ready? Uh, what the new artists are doing now, what the new musicians are doing now, what the new fashion designers are doing now, what the new interior designers or architects are doing now, while it may be too wild or too out of it for you, it's the beginning of a process and this is where all new creations come from. All right, think of it in the pipe world. You know, think of it. 50 years ago, pretty much everything was a straight billiard, bulldog, and apple, and that was your choices. Well, then you have the expansion into the Danish mindset of design, and you get some of those more artistic-looking shapes, and then you start having volcanoes and blowfish and Eskimos and ukuleles, and you have all this stuff. And, you know, Lord knows somebody had to create the first bent poker that makes everybody thrilled. So... When you see a new artist trying something different or you see an artist trying something different or you see a designer trying something different, you know what? Don't automatically just poo-poo it just because you don't understand it, don't like it, whatever it is. It's the next thing that's coming and it's the beginning of a process. If you look at the fashion, you know, all that fancy, bizarre, weird, high fashion stuff that goes on in Paris, well, you mark your calendar because a year or two later, you'll find that starting to show up somehow in a little way at The Gap, at Target, at Walmart, because that's where all the inspiration for new design comes from. So don't poo-poo the new artist trying to do something new and different. You know what? It may not be for you, but that's fine. It'll be for somebody, and in the future, it may be for everybody. All right, uh, iTunes ratings and reviews, much, 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 much appreciated. If you haven't had a chance, please go to iTunes and leave a rating or review. Uh, if you've emailed me and you have not heard back from me uh, by the time you've listened to this show, well, email me again because sometimes emails get lost. And uh, JDRF donation items, please. That would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, thank you to Jeff and Jody for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And Bomba until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny Clarence. Roger, roger. What's our vector, Victor?